0: Welcome to VLGA Connect. My name is Catherine Arndt and I'm the Chief of the VLGA Connect Studio. I hope you enjoy today's Connect episode brought to you by the VLGA, the national broadcaster on all things local government. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of the Governance Update. Thanks to our good friends at Hunt and Hunt Lawyers. And I'm not sure if you've noticed, but this week is Federal Budget Week, and we thought it would be a good idea to get an overview of the federal budget. And to that end, we have with us Joe Nosgaard of SGS Consulting. Thanks, Steve. Hello, Joe. Good to be here. Good. I'm glad you're glad. Now, if we're going to talk about the budget and you're particularly going to talk about some issues affecting local government, I think it would be good to know what's your background that would enable you and I to have this conversation?
1: Yeah, so as of three months ago I was working in local government. Um so I've been in the local government sector for about twelve years. Um starting off at Maribyrnong City Council in the social planning team, uh then moved over to Hobson's Bay, which is where we you connected and just by way of and, disclosure, and we are former <laughs> colleagues. Um, worked in lots of different uh, areas at Hobsons Bay which is great Um, and then after about six years or so I then um, went across to Casey City Council to really experience a growth area um, which was amazing so I spent about three years with the great team down there um, and then thought it was time to Uh, check out the consultancy world. So I've worked with SGS on multiple different projects whilst I was in council um, and really appreciated their ability to one, understand local government, but also uh, kind of keep pushing the policy agenda. Um, So it's been great to be part of that team.
0: So that sort of, um, that would be really useful context because as we said, we're not going to try to do line by line analysis of the budget because other people are doing that. But you and I have talked about four or five really key areas that just merit a bit more of a deep dive, and I just wonder, Joe, if we can start, um, and it is a bit of a topic um, at the moment, uh, especially given the condition of the roads after the floods, what's happening with infrastructure?
1: Yeah, so infrastructure, the kind of the headline for infrastructure is that there's $120 billion going into transport infrastructure over the next 10 years. Uh, so the other kind of headlines are that they're going to renew the role of Infrastructure Australia, uh, and they're going to do some reprioritisation of infrastructure investment and timelines. The other um, key point in here is that they're going to ex- expand the $250 million for Local Roads Community Infrastructure Fund. This is a really important fund for local governments. It's been around for about four years or so now, um, and one of the few funds where local governments don't have to add their own uh, money to it. So it means that you can actually go to the capital program, what didn't make it into the capital program, and go, great, we're going to pick up these 10 prog- projects and actually you know work through it which is great from a renewal
0: perspective. I was going to say, there should be more government funding like that. Yes, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah I agree. Sadly. So what would be, um, I guess, the key implications there for local government in terms of, I guess, the planning and thinking that goes into infrastructure, jo?
1: Yeah, so most councils down in Victoria should have finished their asset management plans or be very close to finishing their asset management plans. So um, I think we're, we're in a really good spot in Victoria to really understand what are the infrastructure needs over the next kind of 10 years. Um, to really think through that capital program, I think there's uh, the renewal gap that we're seeing in councils, especially you know things like the rate cap is now coming into coming into effect in terms of where the pressures are. So I think um, uh, infrastructure funding like this is really important to kind of work through um, those those asset management plans that councils have developed.
0: And isn't it fair to say too that the development of asset management plans in the way that it's happened in Victoria has led to a far more strategic approach than we might have seen 10 or 15 years ago in terms of links to council plan and yeah, objectives?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think that governance arrangement has really helped with that. I think. Um, The data sets are still getting stronger, I don't think we've made it in terms of we've we've done our first asset management plan and we're good to go, so I think there's still a lot of um, data gathering and cleansing, uh, working through our asset systems to really understand what what that asset management looks like, but we're definitely heading the right path, I think.
0: Good stuff. Now, if we keep moving in terms of um, the asset section of the balance sheet, um, affordable housing uh, is a topic and certainly got some attention in the budget this week.
1: Uh, Yeah, so in affordable housing, um, they've set up the National Housing Accord, which will focus on the supply of affordable housing, which is great. Um, It involves all levels of local government, um, uh, investors and the construction sector. So I think that's a really great move in terms of, I think we'd all agree that affordable housing is a big issue across Australia, including Victoria, um, but it requires a whole of government um, and sector approach. So I think that's a really, really good positive sign that they're heading in that direction. Um, the other things that they've got in there, so they're going to target to build 100 homes in five years. Um, uh, sorry, a million homes in five years. That That'd in, be better. Yeah. <laughs> so that includes uh, $350 million additional funding for 10,000 affordable homes. Uh, the states and territories already ma- will also match that with additional 10,000 homes. Um, and that's all on top of the $10, million, a $10 billion Housing uh, Australia Future Fund, which will um, build 30,000 uh, homes in five years. Um, the thing with this one in terms of, I think, we'd all agree that additional funding and affordable housing from government, government is needed and it's a really key area to deliver affordable housing. Um, the bit that is always really interesting is how do we get that stock on the ground? Um, and How do we actually deliver those 10,000 or 20,000 dwellings um, in five years?
0: Well, there's a couple of issues there, which maybe we'll do sequentially. The first mm. is, I suppose, how is the construction industry going at the moment and what does that mean in terms of actually getting buildings built?
1: Yeah, I think I think what we've seen in the last couple of years is that the construction sector, you know, there's been a lot of demand on the construction sector, and they've done they've done relatively well to try and keep up with that demand. But we've seen, um, you know, with COVID and the closing of borders, we've seen the you know increase in costing of materials, um, increasing costing of staffing, and trying to get staff, which has been really tricky. Um, so it has it has actually really probably delayed to some extent in terms of how you can get as many dwellings on the ground. So I think there's a bit of a bit of a look at how do we actually get stock on the ground rather than just, um, you know, thinking more broadly around that funding side of it. The other bit that they've looked at is um, planning. This often comes up in terms of how how do we get more stock on the ground? Well, let's look at the planning system. Um, So the things that they've looked at here is improving zoning and planning uh, regulations, including working with local governments in that space, um, and land. So looking at releasing state and Commonwealth land, there's also a bit of a, a, a movement towards also local government land. Um, so, I mean, yeah, it'd be interesting I, to see what that looks like in, in,
0: in reality. I've got to say, Joe, I feel a bit ill on this topic because for a few reasons. One, there's, you know, this sort of clamour that often occurs for, oh, let's just remove red tape from planning and develop land that maybe shouldn't be developed.
1: Yeah, I think I think there's a, I mean, planning is definitely one lever that, we, that we've got to implement affordable housing. So I think it should be in the mix. Um but it's it's not a silver bullet in terms of well we'll just fix the planning the planning space and you know it'll be fine. Um so I think there's a there's a bit of bit more work to go in terms of what does that look like. I think the other side is um what has, what has been missing in this conversation is the development sector in terms of what they can do within their own developments um, which you can do through the planning scheme uh, which Victoria um, has obviously got the voluntary um, uh, negotiation in there to de- develop affordable housing within um, development so I think there's, there's a, bit, a bit of work to go in there in terms of um, what developments developers can possibly possibly do within their space um, as well as other things we can look in the planning scheme. But.
0: Yeah if my memory serves me right Joe, there's a number of councils that have as part of the um, planning approval process for major developments almost offered concessions from a planning um, perspective um, if affordable housing is is part of the development mix. Have I made that up?
1: Uh, well I mean at the moment because it's voluntary so it's all based on negotiations so depending on what the negotiation is it could mean um, that you know they might get more height, um, they might get less open space, um, you know there's a whole bunch of things that kind of comes into that mix. I mean ideally uh, the ideal is to have a really well-built, um, livable development. So that should have the the adequate open space, car parking, um, and you know setbacks and height requirements for that
0: for that site. Yeah, and councils are significant landowners. What do you think that means in terms of um, councils going through processes to identify its own land holdings, if you like, that might be suitable for? for development, what's happening in that space?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's lots of local governments that are, that are already um, well and truly working in the affordable housing space and doing some amazing work. Um, so they are probably likely already done that bit of a scan of what, what do they already own in that property mix and what potentially could be used for affordable housing. Um, so I think the councils that are already in that space are probably well and truly in train. Um, I think there's some other things that councils have also looked at um, in terms of airspace. So looking above car parks or above community centres and what could that look like as well. Um, the other thing is probably that not all councils have a lot of land so some of them um, are, are, you know they don't have land available or land that's appropriate yeah. for housing. So um, I don't think it's again, I don't think it's a quick win of you know there's amazing land supply. <laughs> let's just pop some housing on it so yeah, yeah.
0: And, and, and let's be fair too. Um, the quantum of, of houses that are planned under um, under this budget allocation probably still goes nowhere near. Yeah. meeting Australia's needs
1: yeah correct which is why there needs to be that holistic view of affordable housing more broadly but then also um, you know how do, we, how do we get that stock on the ground um, yeah so obviously there's a state, state election coming up so maybe there'll be some some further announcements there Victoria's already got the obviously the big housing build um, which is 12,000 homes I think in four years so we'll see there might be some more movement in that space
0: I'm hearing um, go back and look at your um, at your housing policies and strategies and be prepared to go and do some advocacy.
1: Yeah, Um, and if councils have land that they've been looking at, you know, this might be a great opportunity for them as well to um, kind of dip into that, what that looks like for them.
0: Oh, good stuff. Now, um, two more topics we'll go through, um, Joe. The next one is around gender equality um, Mm. implications, because this, this government, has made no secret of the fact that gender equality is a big ticket item on its agenda.
1: Yeah, yeah, so there are a couple of things in here. Um, So one being there's $4.7 billion over four years for uh, cheaper childcare for parents, so decreasing that cost on the hip pocket for homeowners or home uh, households. Um, And then the other one is uh, paid parental leave, uh, bumping that up to 26 uh, weeks by uh, 2026.
0: Right. So that affects councils in a number of ways. As yes. an employer, as uh, an agency of government that oversights the livability of communities, um, the, you know, the group of people that are available as employees, what that means in terms of community needs for presumably kindergartens and childcare.
1: Yeah, yeah it'd be interesting, I think, um, I mean, with this, you'd expect that uh, potentially more parents will be able to access um, childcare. Um, so obviously with long daycare, that includes childcare and kinder. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if that has any impacts on, uh, kinders within the council realm, um, but also obviously that staffing impact as well.
0: And it's really an interesting space and we won't go too far into it, Joe, but I'm sort of, isn't it one of those, um, sectors where I, you know, the, the thinking of government is that, well, the market's going to provide those, um, those spaces, but often councils need to step in, there are competition policy implications and a need to have, um, I guess, a good policy reason for councils to be, uh, to be operating in that space.
1: Yeah, I think um, I think Victoria's saying that mainly through the state in terms of the increase in kinder hours, so going from uh, 15 to 30 hours for uh, four-year-olds and up to 15 hours for three-year-olds, and just the infrastructure impacts that that, that has. Um, and, you know, councils delivering a lot of that infrastructure um, and the lack of supply of infrastructure on the ground. So it, it's, a, it's a really interesting time in terms of that kinder space um yeah and and hopefully we'll see something in the state state election in terms of what that might mean for local governments
0: fingers crossed Mm. um just one other thing in passing that councils do have responsibilities under the gender equality act and also municipal public health and wellbeing planning um around family violence anything in there
1: there's a little bit of funding for family violence um which is, is largely to be expected um so yeah so potentially opportunities there as well so if councils have although they've all got now gender equality strategies um, in terms of what they're doing in their local communities, but also those um, community services as well in terms of providing
0: services within the municipalities. Oh, Terrific. Um, now, just one last thing to finish off on, Joan. Mm. I don't know if people have noticed it's been raining. Um And our thoughts and sentiments go out to, uh, um, particularly our friends and colleagues in the northern part of the state. Um, we're sort of watching this you know, slow moving, um tragedy unfold um so i certainly don't want to make light of what's um a really serious issues for those issue for those communities but um in terms of the budget uh some funding allocated for emergency management
1: yeah so they've allocated 200 million dollars per year on disaster prevention and resilience initiatives so that's through the disaster ready fund which was actually announced in september uh, so a bit earlier this year um, plus some additional funding for flood-affected affected communities as well. So that fund, um, in terms of some examples of infrastructure that they said that that fund would do, um, was things around flood levees, cyclone shelters, fire breaks, and evacuation centres. Um, so I mean that goes that goes a long way in terms of thinking through what that might look like. Um, I suppose we were having a bit of conversation before in terms of, well, what's the, what's the other prevention matters that potentially haven't been talked about uh, in this? But.
0: Yeah. So a few things fall out of that, Joe, that um, it's a bit of a shift um, from the approach of the previous government, because we're now talking about um, disaster prevention and resilience, um, almost the, the pre-thinking. I was just looking at this, it's almost a thought bubble that, working backwards from your list, so evacuation centres, you would think at least um, the emergency management plans that are in place go a long way to identifying the requirements Mm -hmm. of evacuation centres. Similarly with fire breaks, it's generally pretty clear when they're needed. Cyclone shelters and then flood levies, presumably require a bit more planning and forethought and potentially involving other agencies.
1: Yeah, I mean, especially flood um, flood mapping, I think, um, I mean, there's been a bit, a bit of conversation the last couple of weeks around, you know, local government need to do more flood mapping, which I think we'd all, we'd all agree in terms of um, the level of flood mapping. Some councils are well and truly ahead of it, whereas others are, are really yet to get into that space. But I mean, the the key thing is that local governments can't do this alone. Um, there's often that need to have other authorities in it, whether it be um, you know Southeast Water or Melbourne Water or whoever it might be, to come to the table as well to look at what that what that mapping might look like for the municipality and the region, um, and they're already understaffed as well. So it, it's really a, a systems thinking approach in terms of how do we deal with this. Um, it's not just local government on their own um, in terms of how we kind of build a build a better kind of flood management um, arrangement
0: well and and there's almost winners and losers presumably because as you know there's um, serious legal consequences when water is diverted and creates a loss mm. for someone someone downstream so that's a real issue um, I'm hearing you and also talk about sort of the um, the cost of the infrastructure and the interagency kind of
1: yeah, I mean, I think, um, I mean, councils, well, those that are in it at the moment, plus those that have, have recently come out of it, um, I mean, the cost of the infrastructure just one to repair that infrastructure, but then generally it's going to be a, be a redevelopment. You know, it might not be like for like in terms of what they're replacing, whether that be, you know, pipes and pits, pits in terms of how big they are. You know road surfaces those type of things so there is an infrastructure cost in terms of um, that redevelopment as well
0: well i think one of the things we've noticed too is that um, and especially in an environment where we go from um, la nina very wet years to mm-hmm. a sequence of very dry years and then the levees for example aren't required until they're required and they presumably need to be maintained in the meantime
1: yeah yeah it's, it's a big, um yeah it's a, it's a broader issue i think than just um, a one-stop
0: one stop so i'm hearing a kind of an overall theme joe around just the need to look beyond the headline to a real system thinking approach yep. with all of these line items
1: yeah i think so lots of i mean in local governments do this really well in terms of um, connecting up with each other connecting up with their um, other industries within their local governments as well uh, working with the state government and then obviously um, working with the federal government i,
0: I think that's a really good um, place to end on joe we've been had the very good fortune of talking today with Joe Nosegaard from SDS. Um, thanks again, Joe. Uh, Chris Eddy, uh, you'll be pleased or otherwise to know yeah. we'll be back next week. It's expected, so we'll have another um, governance update then. We'll see you, and thanks again to Hunt and Hunt Lawyers. Thanks, folks. Thanks. Sir.
1: Nice. Yeah.